This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. God's, after 40 years were completed, uh, an entire generation had died off of the Israelites. It was now time to enter the land of promise, the land of Canaan. And the Jordan River's parts, and Joshua leads his people across uh, dry land into this territory that they had basically been prohibited from entering for 40 years. So it's a pretty exciting time. And their first battle is against Jericho. And uh, many of you know the story. God gives them a very specific prescription of how to win the battle and what to do after they win the battle. He makes it very clear that all of the precious metals, all the gold, all the silver, all the jewels in that uh, stronghold known as Jericho belong to him. When Israel moves on its second battle uh, to take this territory known as the land of Canaan, they go against uh, not a very even powerful uh, stronghold. It's known as Ai, A-I. And they get uh, rooted, and they literally are running back with their tails between their legs. And so Joshua comes before God to say, what has gone wrong? What, what, it, what happened? And God makes it clear that there was sin in the camp, that there was actually something taking place in the nation of Israel that was prohibiting the entire nation from going forward and winning its battles against the enemy. As a body, we sometimes don't understand the dynamics we oftentimes think of our individual body as the lone focus in our life when God wants to train us as a body to focus corporately as well. That's hard. It's not the way we normally think, especially in America. In America, we are very much a lone ranger society, which makes it extra difficult for us to understand this idea of corporate health. And so if you took a peek, because I know some of you did, uh, at the title for this particular message, it's no matter how you cut it, this is a challenging one, okay? Some of you can already, you know, show empathy for me as I enter into this, and then some of you, the same people that are showing empathy can say, but he chose it. Uh, so then you're like, I'm not going to give the guy empathy if he's choosing it. Well, I always like to think that God's the one choosing, and he's the one leading, and so we could blame it on him too. But... Uh, it's a challenging one because we could approach this topic from so many different angles. In fact, I could easily show you four angles that we could appropriate this from. When we talk about bodily health, I have an individual physical body, and then we have individual physical bodies as a corporate body. Then I have a spiritual body, a spiritual man, and together we have a spiritual man, and all four of these could be touched on in this message, and that's why it's a challenging one, because it has so many dimensions to it, and it's hard to just sort of bake that down and make it clear, but such is the Bible on the topic of body. Body is a rather challenging topic in Scripture, 
and yet it is a very, very important one. We are knit together as a body. We are built into a body in Christ Jesus, and therefore we need to understand it both individually and corporately. But here's one thing I want to start with. When we live in agreements with Jesus Christ in our individual life, that can impact our individual body. It can affect our marriage. It can affect our families. And marriage health and family health all stems from an individual health before God. And if there is unhealth or a lack of health or disease that enters into the soul of an individual, say a husband, then that will naturally infect a marriage, which will by turn affect or infect a family. Now, if we are lugging around that sort of disease, then when we come together in churches, we also have the tendency to infect the body. And that's where this story that I was starting with comes from. We have a sin in the camp, and so God has literally all the tribes, the 12 tribes, walk before, uh, and, and God chooses out a tribe. And then he chooses out a family. And then out of that family, he literally finds a man named Achan. Achan, who had taken from God's treasure in Jericho. God said, that's mine. And Achan had violated the clear command of Scripture and had taken it for himself and had dug a hole in his tent. And so under his tent, he had literally hidden his contraband, his uh, sin. And it was actually affecting the entire performance of a nation. As we move forward as a body, that's where we're at. If you've missed the last two weeks, the concept is a vision for how we can begin to function with strength as a body. It's very important because oftentimes a church can start out with a Jericho victory. And it's like, this is so exciting to see how God's moving in our midst. And then we can find that we run square into an eye route with our tails between our legs, wondering if God really is as powerful as he says he is. What is this? Why is this that we feel so weak right now? I'm just going to cut to the chase. This body is under a lot more attack than most of you as individuals may realize. Physically speaking, it's a tremendous amount of attack upon this very body. I would say even more specifically, and I'm not saying this is exclusive, but the women in this body are under a great deal of physical challenge. And I mean, I could start listing a whole bunch of names, but that's not what I'm going to do. I'm just saying it is an odd phenomenon uh, that we are dealing with right now. And as a leader, I want to take it seriously to say, how can we as the body understand what scripture says to know better how to appropriate the truth of God's word in these bodies as individuals, in these physical bodies as a whole, in my spiritual man or my spiritual body and our spiritual body as a whole. What I'm about to share with you is not novel. It is not revolutionary. Well, it could be, depending on if you are applying it or not. It is simple, and many of us know the truths that I'm about to share. But there are truths that are being wielded and used, and there's truths that you know intellectually that you've set down for a season. You know that to live the vibrant Christian life takes oomph. It takes effort. Have you ever had the thoughts, you know, when you're laying in bed in the morning that you're really tired? And though you know that it would be very important to have a time of prayer with your God and to study his word, 
right now you're just so tired. You know what to do, but you're not doing it. And as a result, what is the effect upon your spiritual life? There's a breakdown. In other words, just because you know what you ought to do doesn't necessarily indicate the fact that you're doing it. Achan knew what he ought to do. But some of us have dug a little hole in our life under our tent, and we've stuck some stuff there. And I would like to allow the Spirit of God to freshly breathe in and through this congregation to bring about conviction, where necessary, to say, hey, check your tent. I'm innocent, God. Check your tent. You see, the Spirit of God, as we all walk before the Spirit of God today, which we're not going to do. I'm not going to set up some line where you all walk in front of me. I'm not the Spirit of God, by the way. But as the Spirit of God walks, we walk in front of the Spirit of God, and he says, you, over here. Me, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. Sometimes the Spirit of God wants to do a little digging under our tent. And I would like each one of us in this body to be right with him. It's that simple. I just want us to be clean before God. Because God has a purpose and an intention for this body that is far beyond, I think, what any of us could ask or think. However, we have to be willing to allow the Spirit of God to be in control and not our own desires, our own comforts, our own way of doing Christianity. The secrets of bodily health. Uh, This is not what you think it's going to be. I'm not going to give you the new diet plan. I'm not going to give you... uh, my, My end goal for you is not just that you live to be 122. Technically, the guy who dies a martyr at the age of 30, I think, wins. My desire is to see you live well in the new man that God has recreated inside of you, that he's brought to life in the second birth. I want to see you live well with that new man in your old dying body. You see, you have an old dying body, and it really gets in the way at times. However, we need to know how to live out the new life in Christ Jesus in this crazy husk of an old body. Some of you haven't caught the note in Scripture that you have a new body, but it's waiting for you. You don't have it yet. He makes all things new. Uh He made you a new body. You just haven't gotten that one yet. So the unique task that we have on this earth is to live out this vibrant new life in this old stinky body. I don't want to put it down. I actually really appreciate the bodies we got. I mean, it's an incredible creation. However, there's times, and you know what I mean by that. There's times when we wish we could throw this crazy thing off because it really gets in the way, and it has a propensity to drag us down morally. It has a propensity to drag us down physically. And the older you get, I just, uh, <clears throat> 46 and a half. You know all those stories about how, you know, like when you get older and then suddenly just one day you can't do certain things? I'm defying that with everything I have, believe me. However, there was one day, I was talking with Steve Rosen, and he was saying that, you know, suddenly just one day he couldn't see anything close up. And I had to chuckle to myself inwardly to say, well, at least that hasn't happened to me. The poor 46-year-old that he was. See, he's like a few months older than me, and I'm, I'm maintaining my sight. I don't know, the next day? I like, whoa. Uh, so you have to be careful when you chuckle inwardly. Uh, God has a sense of humor. <clears throat> the secrets of bodily health. Great quote. I, I actually quote this thing a lot in my spiritual life. But he said unto them, who's talking? Jesus is. This is at Jacob's well. The Samaritan woman was there. 
Jesus has, you know, changed this woman. He's truly functioning as the ultimate evangelist. This woman goes back, you know, uh, totally altered because of her encounter with Jesus Christ. And his disciples come to him and say, whoa, you haven't eaten. Uh, you need to get some food. And what does Jesus say? But he said unto them, I have food to eat that you know not of. Well, what does that have to do with anything? You see, Jesus, this is actually the body of Christ talking right here. If you think about it. This is the body of Christ. The body of Christ has food that others know not of. It has a sustenance. It has an ability to gain strength that the world that doesn't know Christ simply does not have access to. Everything about this message is basically introducing us to the fact that there is food there is strength, there is sustenance that is otherworldly that God desires us to have access to to be able to fulfill our high calling. If you try and lean on just what you have in this natural realm, you will fail in your Christian life. To live out the impossible commission that we have been given, we need impossible strength. We need something from another realm to make its way into this husk to carry this weak old body to the finish line with style. There are a lot of opinions today regarding the secrets of health. Let's just get some of them out on the table. Diet. Take your pick, and if you don't like the current fad diet, just hold on till next week, because a new one is sure to be released and, it, and be better than all the other duds before it. Some of you have gone from one diet to the next, and I'm not even saying, I, I, this is going to be a challenge. This is a reason this, this message is hard. Diet has value, sort of like exercise has a little value. All these things have value. It's what we look to them as. If you look to that diet as your Messiah, as the one thing that can save this life, you will find that it will fail you. But diet is one of the great secrets that people would say, oh, if you tried this diet, I tried this diet, and I tell you what, I feel so much better. And I'm not even discounting that. It very well could be. However, I'm going to just keep going through the list. This next one will get you all stirred up. Physical exercise, CrossFit or in the core? Uh, uh, Mikey, uh, which one do you vote for? You're in the core? Okay, Judah, which one are you going with? Can you? <laughs> uh, Arnie? In the core? Hey, Aaron? You're going with, uh, don't shock me now with CrossFit. <laughs> Aaron Vogel, oh, he has it even on his shirt. Aaron Vogel is the one that invented it in the core. So, of course, we're all going in the core. I can't believe Judah pled the fifth. Uh, I had uh, one of my students uh, a few semesters ago, because uh, Aaron was coming in to teach on physical health uh, to our students during our semester, and I said, just ask him, just say something like, I heard that you, were, that you taught CrossFit. Uh, and, you know, you know listen, listen to Aaron's reasoning. CrossFit is designed by an evolutionist. In the core is built by a man who knows Jesus Christ. So, hey, right there, it should give, be a dead giveaway. However, I'm going to vote in the core too. But let's, let's see, some people think that physical exercise is the secret to changing your life on this earth. Does it matter? Of course it matters. However, what weight are you putting on it? Attitude, the power of positive thinking. There's all sorts of different things that come with this. I can, I can share with you all sorts of different techniques and psychological things that have come out. It's like if you could just learn how to think right, then you would be healthy. Does that have value in our life? Of course it does, because there is a right way to think. Environment. 
You need to remove all those molds, those allergens, that radiation, you know, because your iPhone is giving off some radiation. I hope you have one of those little doodads for the back of it. No noise? Boy, that would be nice. When you have six kids, I mean, you sort of dream. Think how healthy I would be. No nothing. Just get rid of all the stuff. I mean, if you could somehow live in a bubble, I mean, just remove all the infectants out there. Oh, you could be healthy. You see, we have these different strategies that to somehow maintain life in this husk, that if we could emphasize these things and get them right, we would be healthy. Now, every single thing I just mentioned has value to you. For instance, if you do not monitor how you are eating, I guarantee you, your body will know it. Physical exercise. If you do nothing in this body and you literally just lay on the couch, I guarantee you, your body will start talking to you about it. Attitude. If you have a stinky attitude, your life will go to the dogs. Environment. Well, you know, you can stick a whole bunch of molds around you and allergens and, you know, say, I don't care about the radiation. And guess what? You might have some issues. It's not that these things don't matter. It's just that we need to get to something bigger. Are these things good or bad? Well, it depends. Are they in the position of savior or are they in the position of servant? You see, if you look to any of those with the faith that was meant to be directed towards Jesus Christ, Mary of Bethany put faith in her spikenard. She had some box of spikenard. When Jesus came, God sort of made it clear. You going with your spikenard or you going with me? And so what she did is she took that, which was not a sin in of itself, a box of spikenards worth a year's wages. However, in her mind, it was the object of her faith. That's actually the Greek term for it, pistikos, which means the object of her faith was this spikenard. And she took that object and she broke it out on the true object of her faith, who was Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, hey, what this woman did, you share it every time you share the gospel because it's the essence of the gospel. It does not mean that spikenard is evil. It just means that if the spikenard is standing in the way and you're leaning on that saying, well, at least I have my spikenard, then you're missing the true health that can only come through Jesus Christ. Diet, physical exercise, attitude, and environment are lowercase solutions to an uppercase problem. They still are solutions but they are solutions that cannot match our big problem, which is an uppercase problem. The difference between capital H healthy and lowercase h healthy. What is our uppercase problem? Very simply put, the spirit of the man is dead. So we're starting and we're inheriting a problem. We're dead. Well, that's not good. And no matter what you do in diets, in physical exercise, in attitude and in environmental choices, you're still dead. And so unless you can address that issue, doesn't matter what you do on the outside, you're still dead. You have a health problem. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. Welcome to the state of man outside of Jesus Christ. The entire Bible leads us to this understanding. You have an issue. And it is an issue that has no cure. It is an issue that has no remedy outside of one singular thing. And that is the work of Jesus upon that cross. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. This statement... It's just a statement of fact, and I picked it to most clearly enunciate 
When you live for your own comforts, for your own pleasure, you are dead even while you live. And that's the state of all of our souls. We pop out of the womb and what are we living for? Our own pleasure. And unless we finally come to the end of ourselves and recognize and awaken to the fact that we are dead while we're living, I can seek my pleasure all day long. I can try and satisfy me in this body to give it its cravings, but I am dead inside of it. The new creature, the superimposed life in Christ Jesus. What's your position? You see, when you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, when you put off that old man and you believe in Jesus, you become what the scriptures term a new creature or a new creation in Christ Jesus. So you were in Adam, you were a descendant of Adam, and therefore you share in his penalty, his just condemnation. But God in the scriptures literally exhorts us to put off Adam, to put off our old man and to step inside by faith into a new man, into Jesus Christ, into the body of Christ. And when we do, then the work of Jesus becomes ours. Adam sinned. Therefore, we sinned. We share in Adam's work. But when we repent of that work and we enter into Jesus, Jesus was victorious. And guess what we share in? His victory. He canceled the power of sin. And so what do we share in? The canceled power of sin. He overcame. So what do we get? We overcome. In other words, we share in his work. We're not the righteous ones. He is. But when we enter into him, we are classified now as righteous. We share in his work. No longer are we in Adam and condemned. We are now in Christ and made alive. So I'm going to try and explain this. I wish this is the type of thing that needs a good drawing and illustration. I know some of you just love my drawings and illustrations. This one, I didn't get it done, okay? So you're going to have to go with the mental picture. There's a physical Eric, and there's a spiritual Eric. Okay, the physical Eric is temporary. Okay, now, I don't know what, isn't it going to be fun to see what the new Eric, the new body of Eric Ludi is going to look like in heaven? It could look exactly like this, which is sort of sad, but at the same time, for continuity purposes is really nice because wouldn't it be odd when you get to heaven and all of us look different and i'm like yeah i'm eric ludy no no and i'm like seven foot three because i prayed when i was young. i was like god could you give me a body that's seven foot three? i want to be taller than mikey hahn uh and so i'm like seven foot three and mikey's like five foot two because like god i'm too tall and so he's all short and so i come into heaven i'm like pushing him around uh, <clears throat> but so there's this physical body And there's a spiritual man. And the spiritual man, like the physical body, has ears. And it can hear. It has eyes. And it can see. It has a nose. And it can smell. It has a mouth or even a tongue. And it can talk. It has a mind. It has a heart. Okay, you're catching it? It's superimposed. It's it's been made alive. You see, when we were in sin in Adam, this life was dead. It's called the spirit man. And it has no life. It's just empty. It's hollow. But when we come to Christ, we are born again. And that that which is the dead man inside of us actually comes to life. And whereas it could not hear God before, now it can hear. Before it could not see what God was doing in this earth. Now it can see. When it reads scripture, it can see. When it speaks. I mean, you can just think about Pentecost, guys. This is exactly how it starts. There is a tongue. This life actually is given faculty to begin to function. It's called a new creature. And now it carries God's heart and it has his burdens. It has his mind and it can think 
the mind, it has the mind of Christ. It can think God thoughts. It has a nose to discern and sniff that which is true and that which is false. You see, this is called a new creature, but it's superimposed. You can't see my new creature. You can only see the evidence of the new creature in and through this husk. And so if there really is a new creature here, you'll be able to discern it. How? By the behavior of this body. So this body will be a dead giveaway that something has changed inside of it. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's the gospel right there. Hey, dead man, awake. God breathes into those dead bones, and they rattle together, and there is a newness of life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Knowing the difference between the new man and the old body. I've probably already covered it, but just in case. You have your old body, and you're still lugging it around. And guess what? God's intent is for you not to keep that old body forever. Some of us really struggle because if we're a new creature in Christ, and we have this new vibrant health, this life of Christ, why wouldn't we just live forever? It doesn't seem to be God's intent. He doesn't intend us to live forever in this body. He actually intends us. To, I know it sounds strange, to get a new body. There's a, there is a passing. Every single one of us, in a sense, has a terminal disease. We are going to get a new body one way or the other. Now, there are different ways that that can happen. I'm not going to go into all the different options, but hey, that's just a fact. Right now, we're new creatures, when we believe in Christ Jesus, in old bodies. And I don't want you to resent that. I want you to cherish that. Some of us get upset, and this is where divine healing has come in. It's, it's, divine healing is a really challenging topic because are we supposed to expect that these bodies will never have ailments? It's, just, it's a key question that many Christians have really struggled with because if we are in Christ and he is the healer, well, then should we? Could you imagine, a, I'll just ask you the question, a 97-year-old man that's been tootling around on this earth for a long time, living fully for Jesus Christ, and, you know, he falls and breaks his hip, and he's just fading. You, I'm just going to ask you, should, if we could pray for the healing of that hip, the guy's going, right? He's, he's going. He's like, let me go. Hey, I'm going into the presence of Jesus. But, I mean, do we, do we want him to rise back up and keep living? If I'm that 97-year-old man, I almost want to give you the answer right now. Let me go. Please let me go. I'm so excited to get to be with Jesus. If, my, if it takes a broken hip at the age of 97 to finally put me out, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go now. The reason I stay here is the same reason Paul stayed. There's a job to be done. Just as Paul said, I'm, I'm here for you guys to, to live as Christ. I have Christ here in this body. I do. But to die is gain, guys. I'm here because I have kiddos. I have a wife. I have you guys. I have a job that I know is not yet finished. And it seems to be that when someone knows their job is finished, they're ready. And so this is some of the tension. A lot of you in here have a lot of emotion when it comes to this topic. This is a hard topic. This is not an easy topic, and I don't ever want to oversimplify the topic because there's a lot of stuff that is awakened with this one, and I'm not even going to ask. I, I could bring all the stuff up and just get you all stirred up. I'm just going to keep moving. The spirit of man revived the pipeline of life. There are two ways of looking at this body. One is 
It's a body that is under the oppressions of sin. Let me give you different, three different things that uh, work on the body to destroy it and to break it down. One is you. Mm-hmm. It's called the flesh. And when the flesh chooses to live in defiance of God and in sin, did you know that that actually will break down your body? It will. The other is oppressions from the outside, okay? Demonic things. You know that there's a devil, and he has uh, all sorts of cohorts known as demons, and they literally labor to destroy the saints of God in any way they can. So there's outward oppressions. And then we have natural ramifications of living in a fallen world. Uh, typically, the Bible will refer to these as like snakes and scorpions, okay? The things that bite you. There's things that we've inherited physically because we're in the dying race known as Adam. And so therefore, though we have Adam's old body, we have Christ's life. And so it's sort of strange, but we still have the effects in this dying body of a dying race. And all three of those things are very real, and we deal with them. However, it's very difficult because sometimes people look at health, just like Job's friends, and they come to Job and they say, hey, you must be in sin. They come with the starter package that it was the flesh that broke it down. However, there are other factors that can create a, a, a breakdown of health. And that's important for all of us as believers to remember. When we are revived, the spirit man awakens. The spirit man is actually like the Holy of Holies. It's the holding place. It's the house of God. And so what moves in is the Holy Spirit. Or I could say it very simply, life. Life abundant. Moves into this very body because in this very body is a spirit man. And in that spirit man is a chamber. It's a holy of holies. This is a temple and that's the holy of holies. That's the actual dwelling place of God. And he moves into this spirit man. Now suddenly inside of this physical body is life. Mm-hmm. Well, that should affect something, I would imagine. And that's what I'd like to talk about. Seven systems of the spiritual man. So you can't see this. But in my body, there's seven systems. Uh, I'm I'm not going to call the head one of the systems, but I'm going to still put it in the list so you understand. Because the head is Jesus uh, in the body of Christ, which is skeletal frame and structure and command. So who's in charge of our life? Jesus. And so this new man is under the headship of Jesus Christ and has seven systems. The breath system, the respiratory, the strength system, the muscular, the growth system, the endocrine, the defense system, immune and purifying, the use system or digestive, that's the food comes in and the use system is going to take what it needs for health. The life system, circulatory, and the blessing system, reproductive. If any one of those systems decides to go rogue and to do its own thing, do you know the whole body will die? You see, the body is built upon a working order where not just your physical body, if any of these had a disease, you could lose your entire life. In other words, that's just a fact. It's just how it works, just like Achan. Achan did something for self and brought disease into the camp, if you will, and the whole camp suffered. The whole nation suffered. In a church, what we want to learn is how to be as individual systems or as individual parts of the body sensitive to the Spirit of God to allow God to bring life and health through each of us as individuals, and as a result, that brings life and health to the body. Faith in Christ revives the heart health of a man. So when you believe in Jesus, I'm not saying that that automatically means that your whole body is healthy and you have no aches and pains, or you no longer have a nervous system to ever feel an iron when you touch it and it's hot. 
I'm saying that your heart health actually is gained. You suddenly are healed. In the innermost part of who you are, there is health. Three secrets of capital H health. Capital H and lowercase h. Many of us have pursued lowercase h health for most of our life. Does lowercase h health matter? It does, and I'll get to its incredible position of importance as we progress. However, it doesn't make any sense to pursue lowercase h health at the expense of capital H. Now, some of you are, have capital H health, however, your focus has gotten off of the capital H, and you have put an undue amount of focus on lowercase h's as a means of trying to solve issues that should be solved in the capital domain of your life. So I'm going to go through three things that Scripture makes very clear. Now, this is, for those of you that already know these things, this is like a tool that maybe you've known in the past, but you've set down. The reason I'm bringing this up this week, lastly, has had an undue amount of what we could call trivial ailments. Nothing that significant, but enough to take her off her feet a lot in the past while, past, past period of time. There's a lot of people in this room that fall into that category. And so Leslie and I have had a fresh renewal of focus to say, okay, enough. It takes a certain amount of energy to resist any type of sick issue. I, it, I, I've, I've done this for years, so I know. It's, it's so much easier just to have a common cold and just you know, let it happen, okay? Then, then to actually say, no, to a common cold. I mean, come on, it's just a common cold. However, if you don't learn to stand in this body for the purity of this body in the small things, how do you think you're going to do when the bigger things come? You get lax because the small things are our proving ground. And I know, a cold, who cares, right? That, that, that's how most of us would think. That's how I've always thought. However, one of the secrets to my spiritual life, I know this is going to sound really strange, is that I don't take guff in my physical body. I push back. Even if I keep having the symptoms, I push back the entire time I have them. The entire time. It's, it's a choice of position to literally and to push out. I refuse to accept this. I've had so many times. You know that I've still not ever missed a speaking situation here in this ministry since it started. Well, that's almost eight years, and I speak almost every day. How in the world does that work? You know how many times I've been flat on my back? I, I dictated an entire message to Sandy with a, with a phone right here. And I was like, I couldn't even open my eyes. My body was in such a state where I couldn't even open my eyes. It took too much strength to do it. I was like, <laughs> just put, that down and put a return there and put that under the title. Did the whole message. The next day, how do you think I felt when I woke up? The same. And yet my feet went onto the floor. It was a graduation day, and there was no way I was going to miss it. And so I start walking, and this has happened every single time. When I start moving, God's grace starts flowing. I got up that day. If any of you want to dig up the archives for my sermon that morning, I walked up onto the stage a dead man. I felt like I must be around 92 pounds and ready to blow away. I just felt so weak. And I said to everyone, I don't think I'm going to be able to preach today because I'm just having a tough time talking. Well, guess what started to warm up? The engine. And I started preaching. Where does that come from? All I'm saying is resistance has been a key in my own spiritual life to say, no, 
to draw a line and say, this is the territory owned and operated by Jesus Christ, and I say no to even the smallest things when they try and enter in. So, what if I start to get lax towards the small things? I start to get lax towards the things my children are looking at, towards the things my children are talking about, to the things I may be thinking about. Uh, Just, I mean, just a little Bronco time, uh, you know, ponder the movie a little, how they could have strategized the plot line a little better. I get distracted from the center. I know it. I know my life very, very well. I'm a student of it. So I recognize that if I take light the small things, then I take light the big things. And here's what I realize over the past little bit is that when our body is being hit, I am tired of fighting physical issues. I don't want to be Benny Hinn, to be honest with you. I don't want to be a guy that's so fixated on physical health that they miss the spiritual. So as a result, what does Eric start doing? He starts not talking about physical. It's like, you know what? That doesn't matter. Well, I am in front of you today to say, comparatively, it doesn't. I'm in full agreement with you. If we lose capital H health, who cares about the lowercase h? But... As a body, I want to be sound and strong to be standing, not just for ourselves, but for each other. And right now, I would say that that is a colossal weakness in our body and not a strength. And I would like us to rise up afresh and consider small things. These are three secrets of capital H health. Deliberate joy. I'm going to go through the scriptures on each of these. Keeping the enemy out of the living room. These are just my terms for it. I'll give you the scriptures for it. Turning outward and sharing your strength. These three things seem to take that spirit man. Let's imagine that the spirit man is just right here in the middle, okay? Even though it's, it's technically superimposed, it's the whole body. But let's take the heart of it, because God will often call the inner man the heart. And imagine that when God moves in, he gives us the grace that we need. We're trying to change our body from the outside in. God says to the Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. What would he say to us? When we're trying to deal with the outside to make it work, God says, hey, first let's tend to the inside, then the outside will be healthy also. That's actually the principle of Scripture. God intends to change your health, I know this sounds strange, from the inside out. What? What? So now Aaron is going to get all of his, like, in the core. That's exactly right. You change the core and the outside will be healthy. See, this is, you have to like this. And that's exactly the truth. But I'm going to give you the three specifics that Scripture actually names and says, do this and your body will be healthy. Do this and your body will be healthy. I'm just giving it to you, okay? I'm not trying to be Job's friends. If any of you are suffering with health issues, I'm not trying to be one of Job's friends saying, "Uh uh-huh, you see, it's because you're not doing this. I'm just saying, as a reminder to the body, let's take what Scripture says and let's do it afresh. And if some of you are just weak, you have the sword in your hand, but you're swinging it like this instead of swinging it with force and vigor, that's precisely what I want to see. I want to see us actually rise up and engage. Turning outward and sharing your strength being the third one. A deeper look at the three secrets. Deliberate joy. It's an actual choice a disposition, an attitude of heart. I don't care what I'm going to face today. I'm making the choice ahead of time that I'm going to rejoice in any and every situation. What about the trials, Eric? Yep, even in those. What if someone falsely accuses you? I'll leap. What if you're thrown into prison? I'll sing a song. 
It's a deliberate choice that historic Christians have always made. It's a deliberate joy. It's not a joy that you only have when you feel like it. Otherwise, you will never rejoice as a Christian. If you're waiting to feel good before you rejoice, you will not do it. But if you deliberately choose to rejoice always, just as the command has come to you, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, if you deliberately choose that when people falsely accuse you, they malign you, they despise you, they revile you, to go upward instead of downward, you know what happens? Technically, according to Scripture, this changes your bodily health. You know that if you don't do it, and you allow those weights and those accusations to come against you, you know what happens to your physical health? If you rot on the inside, bitterness actually will dry up your bones. You literally will go in the opposite direction. So your body is actually affected by what's going on inside that inner man. A merry heart does good, like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple other translations of this because it's a unique scripture and it's sort of hard to immediately understand. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So what you see is we had merry and we had joyful. Some people have actually used the word laughter. Laughter works good like medicine. It is talking about an inner man. That heart is talking about the inner man that is choosing to be rejoicing, that is choosing to laugh, that is choosing to sing, that is choosing to be merry, that is choosing to smile. And this is actually a secret to bodily health. It says that it works good like a medicine. What a strange statement. So in this, in two of the translations... They didn't really give the verb that is in the Hebrew because it's hard to say it. It says the joyful heart is uh, like medicine, but it actually is a joyful heart is doing something. And that is the word yatav, which means to work good. You see, a joyful heart actually does something. What is it doing? It's working good within the body, like medicine. It's making beautiful the body. It's doing right in the body where there's wrong being done against you. It's doing right within the body. It's thoroughly accomplishing something. That's actually what this verb is. So a joyful heart actually thoroughly accomplishes something right within you. It makes good. Like what? Well, what could that be like? Like medicine. Like a remedy would. You see, God has given us a physical body, and there's certain things that when you stick it on, a little herbal ointment, what does it do? It heals it. Whoa, that was amazing. Yeah, you know what? A joyful heart in this inner man works like medicine throughout the body. It goes from the inside to the out. I'm just giving you some scripture. A merry heart works like a medicine, does good like a healing balm, works amazingly as a remedy, and is thoroughly effective at making things that are wrong right again. I want one of those. I want a joyful heart. You see, I'm not trying to discredit any of these small h health points. But what good is it to focus on small h health if you are missing the big H? Because if you are not guarding that inner man and that inner man is withering up and drying, it'll dry up all your bones. But if you allow the joyful countenance of God on the inside of this new man, no matter what you go through, even when you're physically weak, you can rejoice. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. 
but a good word makes it glad. A good word. Do you have a good word? His name is Jesus Christ. And so when you allow the life of Christ into this inner man, anxiety is when you fail to have faith in the living God. Oh, what am I going to do? How's this going to work out? Well, don't you know God? Don't you know Jesus Christ? Isn't he your savior in every situation? You see, a good word makes you glad. You have Jesus in the inner man. And as a result, yeah, you might as well be glad. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. So, I mean, that makes sense to us. But when you have the inner life of Jesus, what happens to even your, your face, facial expressions? It's not just your physical health. It's not just that you have a medicine coursing through your physical body. It's that you actually, it changes your features. Yeah, you have a cheerful countenance. I mean, it just makes sense. If you have a joyful heart, of course you're going to have a cheerful countenance. However, God's going out of his way to make it clear. Hey, guys, you want to radiate the life of Jesus in this world? Let's get the merry thing going. Let's get that inner life turned around. Let's give ourselves to Jesus. Let's choose to rejoice. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So number two, the first one is a merry heart, deliberate joy. The second one is keeping the enemy out of the living room. So I'm going to give you the scripture in Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart, this is your inner life, keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So what the four things are, let your heart keep its commands, allow humility to reign, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. These four things are inner choices. And when we deliberately choose to agree with God, what it does is it's, I, I use the illustration of a gate valve a lot. It's that sort of like steering wheel looking thing that you turn and it opens up that which is in a pipeline and it's pressurized, it's waiting to come out, but you turn the gate valve, it comes in. Merry heart is a gate valve. Let your heart keep his commands. What does he ask you to do? Then do it. When you agree with God, when you obey God by faith, it actually is a gate valve. Allow humility to reign. When we take a low position, when we allow pride, it closes the gate valve. We have life within us, but when we allow these small little infractions to take place, it closes off the flow of grace. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. So as a result, when we allow pride, it hinders the flow of life in and through our body. Pride will break down your body. The fear of the Lord. When you fear man, when you fear what the world thinks, and you make choices accordingly, what does it do? It breaks down your inner man, which then breaks down your outer man. And so as a result, let's fear the Lord. Let's consider his word above all. What his opinion is, is the only one that matters. And the key one here, depart from evil. You see, when we allow the small things, the Achan stuff, we dig a hole and we stick it in there and we're like, hey, it doesn't matter. You see, that evil is that which opposes God. It's that which is against his word. And when we put that in our own life and we allow it to stay there, it doesn't just kill us. It kills the community around us. You see, we are a part of a body. And if a hand is rotting, it affects the whole body. And if we, any of us, are not taking seriously the commission of Jesus Christ, it actually affects all of us. At the same time, if one of us is hurting, it should cause all of us to care. And that's the inverse of what I'm talking about. First, we talk about if any of us is carrying something in our own life, we need to make it clear to God. We need to unbury it, set it out before God and say, God, 
I took this wrongfully. This is not mine. This is yours. Give it back to him. Make it right. Confess your sin. But also, a healthy body is sensitive to the needs of those around it. And that's where I would say most of us don't have the wherewithal of what's taking place in this body. And I'll take full responsibility. If it starts with us as leadership for not creating an avenue or an atmosphere which enables people to feel comfortable sharing their needs, but this is something we have to become excellent at. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So what does this promise say? If you're keeping his commands, if you're allowing humility to reign, if you are fearing the Lord and you are keeping the evil out, if you're resisting it, saying, no, you will not enter in here. This will be healing to your body. In other words, something that happens inside of us, in this inner man, when the Spirit of God is able to permeate and actually impact the physical body because of our obedience to Scripture. Number three, turn outward and share your strengths. So the first one is what we call the merry heart or deliberate joy. The second one is uh, keeping evil out of the living room. In other words, this is your house, right? Well, don't allow evil into it. And so if you are deliberately choosing to resist evil, to not allow the small things to creep in, to not justify even the smallest thing in your life, when God says, hey, let's keep that out, you keep it out. When he convicts you, heed that conviction. Number three, turn outward and share your strength. You know, it's a strange thing to do when you're feeling weak. This is what I will call the Isaiah 58 promise. Leslie and I have gone back to that so many times. Because when you're going through a difficult time, especially when you're feeling weak, what you have to have is the promise of Scripture. You have to know what God says. You have to have rock beneath your feet. And so Leslie and I will oftentimes fix ourselves to Isaiah 58. We have various Scriptures, like Psalm 91. And, you know, I've had to say it doesn't really matter what anyone else in the body of Christ says about these Scriptures. For us, they're very specifically spoken. They're ours. You ever had it where Scripture becomes yours? It's like, it's not just scripture, it's my scripture. And someone would go, hey, that's mine too. It's like, well, I'm wrestling you for it. Okay, it's both of ours. In other words, God wants us to inherit it personally. And that's the difference between what we can call logos, which is the word, more of a general term for the, the revelation of God, and this uncomfortable other Greek word, which I don't even know that I should say because it's been hijacked by the charismatics, but it starts with an R. Uh, and it's another word for word in scripture, but it's the personalized word. It's the word that God says is not just general for you, but specific for you. It has your name on it, Eric Ludi. And I take that. And this is, Isaiah 58 is like Eric and Leslie Ludi's territory. This is ours. We've been broken by it. We've been challenged by it. But we've also been encouraged by it and built up and made strong by it. The Isaiah 58 promise. So this is talking about what's called the chosen fast. And... There's a lot of people that stick ash on their head and they would go without food and they would moan and you know, groan over the fact that their body is weak. You see, a fast by its very nature is choosing to allow weakness in this humanity, in this frame, so that God could pour through his strength. It's deliberately saying to the heavenly realms, I am not the savior, you are. And choosing greater weakness to remind our spiritual man that we in and of ourselves without him are unable but I choose weakness 
so that I can prove the strength of God. It's sort of a strange statement, but when you are weak physically, one of the number one things that the devil will bait you towards is self-preservation. To think about you. Because, hey, you're weak, and no one else is thinking about you. You have to think about you. And what it does is it takes that inner man and it dries it up like a grape becoming a raisin. And that is one of the number one tactics of the devil that I want to put my finger on this morning and say, a merry heart, a life that purges evil, and a life that is turned outward, get this, even when it's at its weakest point. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? So what does God say? You want to know how to fast, right? Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light, listen to this. This is the promise part. The first part is rather challenging. You're like, but I don't have much to give. You want to truly fast the way God intended you to. It's the sharing of your strength even in weakness. It's the giving of God. This is exactly what he did on the cross. This was the ultimate picture of strength being made manifest through weakness. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Listen to this. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, this is now the removing of evil. The same context. If you take the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. By the way, if any of you are looking for a good interpretive device for that, that's Jesus Christ. We are his descendants that will rebuild those old waste places. However, it is still an active promise to the body of Christ. To those that are in Christ, the same is true. This is actually what, he, what pleases him. You see, many of us have strength. But when that strength gets whittled down, we look at our strength as our means of survival. And so we start to hold on to it instead of spend it. You see, most of us would say, hey, I would give everything I have away if I had more. It's the old, God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll, t- I'll tithe 10%. I mean, it just sounds so noble. However, and it's like, if I had more energy, I would go to the streets and I'd tell people about Jesus, but I'm weak, I'm physically limited. If I didn't have these ailments, then... This is the challenge for us all. There's a spiritual man that has Jesus Christ in it, and Jesus wants to get out. And when we hold it for ourselves, the grape becomes a raisin, and it dries us up. But when we choose, even in our weakness, to let that strength out, to take the little we have left... And to give it, God says, there we go. That is what I can breathe life through. That, right there. The widow principle. If any of you have ever heard my message made strong, I go through this story in depth. But Elijah has been living by a brook, 
and he's been fed by a raven, and he's had water supernaturally during this drought season, and then suddenly the brook dries up, and the raven starts delivering him food. He's like, excuse me, God, what, what's going on here? He says, I've commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. You see, God has commanded a widow to sustain the mighty prophet. Now, that might not ring any you know, bells for you or say that's weird to you. It's a widow. A widow means there's no provision for her. In other words, back in that culture, uh, it would be the man who would do the working. And so a widow has no occupation, has no way of making any resource in this. And so in a, in a drought, this is a very desperate situation for a widow. And this particular widow has enough flour and enough oil for one cake of bread for her and her young son. That's all, all she has left. And in the midst of a drought, you can just imagine how much water she would have. And the prophet is sent to her. And he, God commands the widow to sustain the prophet. Uh, you're in an old body. <laughs> you're a new creature in an old body. You mean well, but uh, this old body is getting in the way. And God says, I've commanded that old body to sustain the calling of the mighty prophet. Whoa. I've commanded a widow, <laughs> a body that is weak, to sustain the calling, the revelation of the mighty prophet of old to the generation in which you live. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. When this widow woman chooses to agree with God and to sustain this prophet, to give her last cake of bread to the prophet, you know what happens? Her flour and her oil do not run out, supernaturally. You see, she taps into a supernatural supply for doing something in a widow's body, if you will, that could not be done any other way. It's a time of drought. There's no possible way that a widow woman can do that. And I'm going to tell you the same. In this time of drought, there's no way that your physical body can actually fulfill the calling that you've received. Might as well just accept it. Instead of fight it, accept it. That does not mean we do not tend to this physical body. I'm saying let's start with big H. You cannot do it without supernatural enablement. He said unto me, this is uh, Paul speaking, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Through which avenue does God choose to use? He uses our innate weakness through which he reveals his strength. So therefore, though we are in an old body, and though these bodies are breaking down, we have been given a task and a commission which is so much grander and so much larger than what this ridiculous body can pull off. Now, I don't want to criticize our body because the more you study it, the more you'll be amazed with it. However, it is not built in and of itself in its own natural strength to accomplish the impossible. It is built to accomplish the natural. It is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But it needs something. It needs food that others know not of. It needs health that others know not of. It needs something inputted from the outside in that when we cultivate that and when we turn outward and when we choose to rejoice, when we keep out the evil and when we choose to give out of our weakness, we find something this world cannot mimic. Even the greatest athletes and the greatest dietitians, they cannot mimic it. It is beyond, it is supernatural in its very nature. So Paul 
is hearing from God. And he says, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. So what is Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When is Paul recognizing the power? When he's weak. Infirmity. When he even has an infirmity, it's like, oh, I'm going to rejoice right now. Why? Because this is the vehicle. This is the avenue through which God reveals his strength. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When you bring health to the inner man, it lays a foundation in the physical man for the development of real capital H health. So foundational capital H health and endless frontier capital H health. Many of you know what I'm talking about. When you lay the foundation of capital H health, it changes you. It changes your disposition. It changes your attitude. However, you need to progress with this. I would say this is where the diligence of the Christian life comes in. For instance, diet, I believe, how you handle your diet, just like how you handle your finances, shows something of how you, you treat the value of what God has given you. I believe that the way you handle your body exercise-wise shows something about who you are. It shows how you cherish what God has given you. You're not saved by it. However, if you knew that you had one life to live and you have an old body and God has given you what you need and he says, hey guys, let's be diligent. Let's apply wisdom unto this. Then that's where the exercise of the lowercase elements in your life have value, not faith value. You don't put your faith in it. However, it has value for the strengthening of what God intends for you on this earth. The spirit of man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Strange scripture, especially with the way it's worded. The spirit of the man, remember we were talking about this inner court, this holy of holies? The spirit of the man will sustain his infirmity. His infirmity means technically by definition disease. Will sustain it? That sounds like it's helping it out. That's actually not the proper way of reading it. The spirit of man will sustain him in sickness. This is what the New King James says. But who can bear a broken spirit? And I would say, I'm not saying it couldn't mean that. It's just that that's not as victorious as it could translate. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. In other words, this is basically saying, when you have this deposit in the spirit of man, you can go through anything. Even the greatest sicknesses, even the greatest diseases. I like it. It actually could translate even greater than that. The spirit of the man can endure his sickness, but for a broken spirit who can bear it. So the word here which is being translated sustain, endure, is cool. I could do a whole message on cool. Uh, <clears throat> it's, this is how it could translate. A man's spirit will provide for him in sickness. In other words, when you're in sickness, guess what? You have the supply in that inner man. Everything you're going to need to go through it, you actually have given you. That's how it could be translated. A man's spirit will supply endurance for him in disease. So if you happen to have a physical weakness, guess what? You have everything you need in that inner man supplied by God to be able to endure, to be able to go through any travesty, to be able to go through any trial, even death. A man's spirit will provide for him in sickness. Everything you need for that sickness, you have. And that's actually what it can translate, that word cool. A man's spirit will sustain him through infirmity. Listen to this. A man's spirit will support him throughout any weakness. 
The spirit of man is the secret inlet for health, provision for health and support in health. If the spirit of man is dead, then he is blocked from true health and vulnerable to everything else darkness may wield. If the spirit of a man is alive, then he is able to receive of the provision for true health and can be built up as invulnerable. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Keep your heart with all diligence. That's the inner life. Keep it with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Everything of life springs out of this inner man. So if you are living in disobedience to the word of truth, what's happening? The life is being hindered from coming forth. God has come to give us life. He's not promising that this old body will last forever, but he is promising that he will sustain it to fulfill your calling. Whatever time you have on this earth, you have the grace that you need to walk it out. And for those of you that are weak and feeble right now in these bodies, the exhortation from all of us is, first of all, we want to stand with you. But second of all, we trust that God is going to supply you with everything you need and that he intends to supply you with everything you need to fulfill the high calling that you've received. That doesn't mean we all live to be 95. I sort of have a hunch I won't. My granddad, Ludie, lived to 93. My dad is still going strong and looks just like me. My grandpa used to do 100 push-ups when he was 90. In other words, I come from good stock. However, what I stand for will likely get me killed. And so therefore, I fully accept the fact that I may not, very likely will not live to the age of 95. And guess what? Big smile. I don't mind passing out of this life and into the one that waits for me behind. I am so excited to be with Jesus. However, I'm also very excited to live this life in this body and to do it well. And I know my time has not come. I am pretty confident I'm not dying today. Isn't that an interesting statement? Why? How could you say that, Eric? Well, because I sense a burden that God has given me and that I am supposed to walk it out. And part of that burden is you guys to fight for you, to stand for you, to not take the guff of the devil in our church, but that we would turn outward and be Isaiah 58 in this generation. That as a corporate body, we'd be purging evil out of our midst, digging up that ache and sin and throwing it out so that we could go against I and root them, so that we would drive the enemy out of the land. That's what I yearn for. And I have a hunch that that work is not yet done. And so therefore, I fully expect to be alive today and tomorrow and the day after. And so as a result, I live in such a way as if I'm going to be around. So what do I do? I train this body. I beat it into subjection. I teach it how to come into agreement with the calling of God. So therefore, no flab, no blubber around the middle, energy, exercise, get up, Eric. Don't be the slouch. Don't be the slob. Don't be the sloth. In other words, when it's time to get up in the morning, kaboom, kaboom. Let's go for it. Move, diligence. When you start to grow soft around the edges, your body becomes entombed and you become a slave once again to it. So therefore, if you know that you're going to be here for the distance, because you know you have the supply from God for whatever calling you've received, then diligently apply what you know to do and do it well. 
Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. I can tell you one pleasant word. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Okay, as we finish up, I'm just going to give you two meditations. First, he delights to heal. God delights to bring life to us. It's just a fact, okay? For some of you that have been discouraged on this front, I just want to freshly bring the scripture to bear. I'm not the classic Benny Hinn guy who wants to talk about healing all day long. In fact, I would prefer not to talk about it and talk about just the state of your soul and the state of the church and where God desires us to be and just grit our teeth when it comes to physical ailments. Because it seems like anyone, and I could give you a whole bunch of proofs of this, anyone, any ministry that ever makes physical healing the focus goes south and quick. I have no interest in going south and quick. I have it, that means going bad, by the way, for those of you. I don't know why south has to be considered bad, but like hell is down. Poor south. <clears throat> he delights to heal. This last week I was reading... Uh, I was reading. I was listening to a, a song over and over again by Chris Tomlin called Kyrie Eleison. And I don't know if it's Gaelic for like, the Lord have mercy, but I kept listening to this thing and there's one line in it that struck me. And it was, he delights to show his mercy. And I kept pondering that over and over again. He delights to show his mercy. He doesn't just show his mercy. We know his, he shows his mercy. But we, sometimes we get the notion, like in our lives, that he just sort of, he's arm twisted into it. It's like legally, it's like, okay, I have to show you mercy. Yeah, that's right, I have shed blood and I, I did forgive you. Therefore, okay, I'll show you mercy. Instead of the fact that he delights to show his mercy. This is his great privilege to show us mercy. And then I was thinking, do I delight to show mercy? Because if that's who my God is, do I delight to show mercy? I want to delight to show mercy. So I'm putting that word in very purposely. He delights to heal I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. These are all the statements of the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. And if any of you remember his ministry, he healed. He did. He just did. I can't help it. He healed. He didn't just touch the inner man, but he actually touched this physical husk as well. He cares about the physical husk as much as it's awkward for those of us that are biblical Christians, conservative Christians, because it's dangerous territory to get near it. It's still a fact. And I do not want to back into our belief system because some people have taken it hostage. I want to say, fact, God heals. His name is Jehovah Rapha, which means I am heals. That's an eternal attribute of his unchanging nature. He is a God who did heal, does heal, and always will. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger is turned away from him. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Uh, he fulfilled it, by the way, guys. On the third day, he raised us up. And he has brought us capital H healing. Everything we need for this inner man to work within this old body to carry out the impossible commission that we have received on this earth. Go tell John. This is another statement I use a lot. Go tell John. It's just a, it's something I whisper to myself. Go tell John. You know what? You'd have to know the story, the trajectory. John the Baptist is thrown into prison. Jesus' ministry has begun because that's actually the start of Jesus' ministry when John went into prison. 
And John, though he already has declared that, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he still has a question. He sends his disciples to Jesus and asks them, are you the one? I'll just read it for you. When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? What should Jesus say? He could just say, I am. That would work. He says something very specific that would signal John's understanding. John is symbolic of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And that very, should we look for another? In that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. So could you imagine these guys come and like, are are you the one who was supposed to look for another? And he doesn't answer. And he heals. Then he turns back to them. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Go tell John. There's your answer, people. Is he the one or not? Mm -hmm. How did he prove it? He heals physical bodies. Hey, guys, I know. It's uncomfortable territory. All I'm saying is, for us in this body, let's not put off to the side the fact that we have a hurting body and that we have physical ailments in this body and be ashamed of rising up in the name of the one who delights to heal and saying, hey, I will resist that. I want to stand for you to be strong for the commission you've received. We have a lot of aches and pains in this body. We've had a lot of tears in this body over that which we've lost because of sickness. And you know what? God can turn all of that into a tremendous picture of his grace. But I still want to fight well while I'm here. And I want to stand with you in this. So I don't have necessarily a program for the end of this other than I want to pray for us as a body. Two things. Aiken sin. If there's anything in our lives that is prohibiting the flow of health in our life, the flow of health in our body, I want you to deal with it. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to touch it. Second, I want you to deliberately choose to go after health in your inner man. I want you to deliberately choose to rejoice. I want you to deliberately kick out the enemy and to take small things seriously. And I want you to choose to study Isaiah 58 and say, God, is this a picture of my life? This is what Leslie and I are doing right now. These exact same three things. I want to make sure I don't just know these things in my head, but then don't perform them. I want to perform them and perform them well. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.